Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Where in the Folk. Whoa! I am Mr. Reed. Over to my right have the luscious Cecil, also known as Cecil. Uh, today we've is got always. our <laughs> Northern KY cohort, Tully, with us. And today, our guest on the show is, I clicked right off of my little <laughs> cheat sheet here. It's Anthony Tyler. Sorry about that. Anthony Absolutely. Tyler. Uh, where in the folk are you at, Anthony? Uh, these days, I'm here in the Bay Area, California, uh, like half hour out of San Francisco. Um, I'm from born in Georgia, um, in Macon, you know, like an hour out of Atlanta, and raised right outside of Anchorage, Alaska. So I've been Same a little bit state. around. That's a, big, <laughs> that's a big jump, and I, I think that's a pretty big culture change, too. It really is. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I left Georgia when I was like two years old, but I've traveled back, um, fairly consistently. And there was a period of time where I stayed for about eight months or so, uh, when I was like 21. And, uh, yeah, that was quite a culture shock. Um, there, there's a lot that I, I can definitely, um, that I'll always, um, relate to about the South, but there's, there's one thing I'm sure you guys know, uh, that, uh, that whole, um, Southern politeness, it's very, uh, you know, through, through your clenched teeth, so to speak sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I did that today. <laughs> At the yeah. mark. <laughs> I'll tell you like, cause so, so I live like, I don't know, 20 minutes away from Cincinnati. And then Cecil and David live really close to Tennessee. And just the difference in between the politeness that you're talking about, like you, whenever I moved here, I'm like, everybody's cold up here. Like, <laughs> like nobody wants to even look at you. It's so, strange. It is strange when I go up there and you catch eyes with somebody and they don't do that nod. Like, down here, if you catch eyes with somebody, you like you do the yeah. nod, so you acknowledge that you caught eyes, and then you do the nod and look away. Up there, they just fucking stare at you. You're like, well, what's the like, problem? Like they're looking for you. <laughs> like, is there a fucking problem, bro? We're going to throw yeah. hands. Alaska's <laughs> got a really great culture up there, I will say. It's a little too cold for me, um, but I'd like something with a little more like four-season action. But uh, Alaska is a really unique place, for sure good place to get away and people are generally speaking you know it's a it's a place where different ideas intermingle a lot better than others um because it's a little bit reductionist to say this but it's still true um i mean it's so cold and barren at times out there that everyone just kind of um is willing to help each other out when when they need there's a little bit of that uh, just kind of old school help a homie out kind of mentality. Before we get too uh, before we get too deep, why don't you tell everyone uh, about yourself a little bit? Your sure. background, your your website, all that good stuff. Book. You have a OnlyFans because I'm very interested. <laughs> <laughs> I, might, I, I might get more traction that way. You never know. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of crazy people out there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, um, I, I, I basically consider myself like a 4TN researcher. I just, uh, I'm interested in 
all things unexplainable to one degree or another. And, you know, I don't I don't have a show yet or anything, but I'm fairly consistent about um, hopping on to other people's shows when they like me on uh, because uh, I definitely have plenty to talk about and it's a lot easier to um, I just I really don't have I'm also like writing a man a new manuscript right now and so um, priorities I couldn't keep up with uh, continuous recording and stuff but you could go to my website where you could find other interviews and things uh, divemind.net and uh, my book my first um, um, I have done some other like uh, published fiction stuff uh, back when, but my first like official book, as far as I consider it, uh, Dive Manual, Empirical Investigations of Mysticism. You can find that on the website or you can go right to Amazon. Um, lots of, yeah, just Fortean, esoteric, unexplainable. I'm very interested in metaphysics and uh, classical philosophy. Um uh, you know, I really love uh, Carl Jung is one of my biggest inspirations. A lot of people find him dry, but I, I think I've just always I've just read enough philosophy early on um, where I, I <laughs> I'm just a weirdo. I as soon as I read Carl Jung, I was absolutely enthralled. And uh, that uh, sort of a practical approach to more mystical ideas is um, something that I really hold close to heart to this day because I have my own beliefs and um I but I'm it's important to um I don't know there's a difference between um fact and belief and that's something we'll get into because there's there's adaptation um there's both of those can be pro-adaptive qualities but um depends on the context and how you use them but yeah so you know I've I've seen some crazy stuff and I've just it's got me interested in this stuff uh, since an early age. And I just I'm all about it. You know, I, I live and breathe it. And uh, uh, like I've seen UFOs in Alaska, no ETs or anything. And it could have been government. And we could get into that, uh, among other things. But <laughs> it's uh, strange stuff. Um, and um, I've had uh, certainly not that I could do this at will, um, and it's only been like once, maybe twice, um, where I've had uh, at an early age uh, some like dreams of uh, of the future, basically, and um, talking to other people. You find that that's that's not even really particularly uncommon. I would uh, I would question anyone who says they could do that at will, but um, dreams are. Uh, it can be pretty anomalous and um, it's uh, it's interesting, you know, to, to take steps to uh, do like dream journals and stuff. You start to remember it more. You start to notice more details. And I'm very interested in dream analysis and things. And um, yeah, I uh, I love true crime, too. Um, uh, so there's there's plenty that we could talk about. <laughs> So talking about dreams, have you ever, um, this is an experiment that a guy that I roomed with when I was in college, 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 we, uh, <laughs> we did this thing where uh, we always got rubbed out in our fucking yeah. face. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we would try to guide our dreams before we went to sleep. Yeah. And our whole experiment that we did was to see if we could fly on purpose in our dreams no matter what the dream was 
try to mentally prepare ourselves whatever we dreamed that night to see if we could fly i did it twice nice time i actually flew a car wow that one was the funniest one but have you ever done experimentation like that to try and manipulate your dreams yeah yeah um and that's a bit of the um some of the so in dive manual the book there is a lot of uh just different topics that tie together like i'll talk about mysticism and um and other unexplainable things uh and but i also to tie it all together um i have to uh, the only way I really could, uh, from my standpoint, I felt like was give a little bit of my story and just my viewpoint. Um, and for me, a lot of the, uh, just my introduction to a lot of this stuff was dreams in general. And I kept having, uh, recurring dreams. Uh, so yeah, I, I could get into it a little bit. Um, the, the first dream I had that was, uh, like, like a accidental premonition um, was I basically um, I had this dream of this carnival and it was like this really PT Barnum style situation. And uh, um, I met uh, a woman there and, and I, like I said, I was pretty young too. And um, I, I ended up meeting her like there's no way I could have beforehand, like two months or so after uh, the fact. And that along with other things, um, that kind of snowballed uh started really getting me interested in metaphysics just like the woman aside like how is that even possible to begin with and um then you know uh, so candidly um i there's classic boy meets girl there and things you know especially when you're young they tend to be learning experiences and um i continued to have the dream after uh after we had uh, parted ways and it was this dream of essentially and well, the the when it would uh, reoccur it was different with the same context each time and at the carnival i uh i was talking to her and then there was like this huge wave of people and she got lost in the crowd and she just kind of gave up and was walking away and i was trying to follow her through like a sea of people and each time it would be that following motion and um it would be stuff like i remember one i was going through like a a shining style like the hedge maze um but it was all she was always trying to like motion me forward and and it was it was always this existential frustration of just never being able to catch up and um the deeper and again so that was seriously was existentially frustrating because there was a point um a nice healthy chunk of time where I would continue to have that dream where I didn't even feel emotionally attached to this woman anymore. And so I was really trying to get to the heart of, you know, just archetypal symbolism and dreams and things. And long story short, I could, I could go into, uh, you know, further detail, but it was this, um, I had to really start um doing that whole process you're talking about just sort of like incubating your dreams beforehand because i i was trying to break myself out of this loop um uh carl jung has a great perspective in dream analysis where he says that when you're having a recurring dream process um it's important and very useful to look at it 
on a continuum of all these dreams being a sequence of events and a process unfolding. And so I started to try and manipulate that as best I could, or not, not so much manipulate as uh, work with and try to uncover some of the things within that continuum. And, uh, when, and, and then also start looking into being so interested in sleep at that point, starting to look into other sleep phenomena like sleep paralysis, which is another interesting story. Not one that I have a, a, like really any experience with. I, uh, yeah, I had it once as a kid and it wasn't even that terrible, but it's very interesting. And, uh, and so anyway, um, dreams, they're very unique uh, and materialist science surely doesn't give them enough credit because when you start to look into um, practical archetypal symbolism, um, it, you see that there is, you know, the things unfolding in your dreams and the pieces that your brain chooses to incorporate to paint the picture of the dream is very much um, similar to digits being used in an equation. And I think you've just given me like a whole just magazine full of ammo to fire back. So lovely. Yeah, go ahead, man. So, um, I don't know, like as, as you've been researching this stuff, if, if you've ever crossed paths with like quantum theory, mm-hmm. um, uh, there's, there's a doctor and I was trying to look, I couldn't find his name like super readily available, but, uh, he, his theory on it. Cause he's a physicist and a doctor is that, um, there's a well, for example, there's a quantum computer in Texas, and they're studying it. I forget what it's its name's like Timothy or something, but um, they they believe that this computer has the ability to talk to itself in the past, and you know the the general consensus is that you know we can only use ten percent of our brains, but I I think we're told that for a reason, um. Because it like our brains are, are capable of so much more than what we grow up thinking about. So mm. it, to me, because I've had some similar dreams, um, I almost think it's your brain maybe relaying the message backwards. Is it just me, or does Tully look like he's in one of those classic Godzilla movies when he talks? <laughs> am, I, am I lagging? Oh, with the delay. You're lagging a little bit. Hang on, hang on. Um. Yeah. No. I think that there's some um some genuine truth to that. I'm not. Uh, I could speak to the philosophy of quantum physics a little bit, but that gets so tricky because even the physicists don't fully understand yeah, what yeah. they're talking about. But it sure is interesting. Um, and I think that there are definite parallels to the human uh, psyche. And yeah, you know, the, I I've had this thought before. Um, where and this really is kind of speaking to the exact sentiment you just put out there. Um, like, and I, th- I have no idea if this is true or not, but it's kind of, uh, you could find it echoed in philosophy and things. And if nothing else, I think it really is interesting to consider. Um, the idea that perhaps your intuition and your gut feelings, uh, when you learn to really tune into them might be some sort of, um, echo from, some sort of potential, uh, what would you call it, uh, like post-life review. You know, they say that uh, um, you you go through your life uh, after you die, the sort of judgment thing. Um, and, I, I, you know, who knows if that's uh, 100% true anyway. But uh, um, I really do think that there is some sort of 
point being, I guess, to make that a little more practical, I think that there's some sort of component to intuition and the imaginal processes that, yes, is a little bit outside of linear time. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think just like to, to step into ghosts for a minute, like how people see, you know, ghosts from the 1800s, mm-hmm. like they, it's like it's all energy. Mm-hmm. And technically, we're looking into the past whenever someone you know, visualizes something like that. Like, it's not far fetched that if you have, you know, a deeply impactful moment in your life where so much energy is going into it, that it, it could imprint somehow or like relay that message back. Absolutely. Yeah. And I've often wondered myself, um, like, what if, you know, I think about inertia. Um, like physics of the psyche and things and how there is definitely um, what you could call inertia behind states, uh, trains of thought, states of consciousness. And I, if there is an impactful moment in your life that happens somewhere on the timeline down the road and there's there's so much inertia behind that for the rest of your life on that continuum, it, it's kind of trippy and at least interesting to think about um, if that might be uh if there might be some sort of ripple effect backwards as well yeah yeah um so yeah and uh, chaos theory speaking of physics is very fascinating as well and adds a lot to the discussion of some things like physics of the psyche um because chaos theory is uh so much of what it, it it's incorporated into uh, the historical philosophy the world over. It's what ultimately the alchemists were fascinated with. And it's a, what uh, inspired Freud to um, develop so much of um, psychotherapy as we know it today. And uh, uh, it really speaks to, you know, it also gets into like sacred geometry with fractals and things. That's all chaos theory. Uh, it lends credit to possibilities of an of an afterlife with thermodynamics and things. So I'm definitely very fascinated with chaos theory as well. And the idea that there are, that things are chaos in the universe, but only in so far as we have yet to understand them, you know, um, and how like our interpretations and explanations of metaphysics is like what some people call like that whole God of the gap sentiment where that metaphysical spectrum will always exist. I feel like, uh, and it will always have a place in helping us uh, get closer to the understandings of the things that we just can't grasp yet. That's why I like parapsychology so much. Like I've been trying for a while now to find like a, a decent parapsychologist to come on the show, but that stuff, like, I completely agree. Like, it's super fascinating. Mm-hmm. And parapsychology is very interesting as well. It's a shame that um, there's so many uh, kooks and money makers to sift through with things like that. But, yeah, you can find genuine people out there, most definitely. Um, um, and, you know, some of the – I wouldn't necessarily call them parapsychologists, but it's uh, it's worth bringing up because um, it's – pretty adjacent um there's a study that i reference in dive manual that came out i think in like 1999 but it's it was an actual peer-reviewed study and if you um read through it it's very interesting and empirical and it's basically an empirical thought experiment the supposition being um 
if reincarnation to some degree is an actual thing, just saying that we progress uh, regardless of what the stage is, um, uh, assume we don't know the stages yet per se. And uh, so if it does exist, then how would it operate in an empirical spectrum? And it goes into um, adaptation and um, evolutionary mechanisms, not necessarily saying that we came from primates or anything, but just the implication that there is clearly a, a spectrum uh, and a process of long-term adaptation unfolding. And um, and yeah, I mean, it's very, very interesting food for thought. Uh, it's compelling. And uh, these guys are neuroscientists, so and they, uh, they use a lot of um, correlations. There's a lot of brain science involved in um, um, correlations between mm, philosophical concepts of the afterlife and near-death experiences and things like that so in your opinion what what do you think we we're living in right now like like what is what is reality um it's a great question i don't know if anyone knows for sure um i think it's definitely um somewhat illusory and certainly transitory um and i think that reality is layered kind of like inception or something you know i think that i don't think we're ever living in something entirely false um like a brain in a jar per se but uh i think it's uh, hard to argue with the fact that um like to say that we are living in a computer simulation i think is a bit reductionist but you can't argue with the fact that a computer simulation like even something like sims you know is astonishingly similar to real life and you could see again talking about continuism black continuums and stuff um it's certainly no uh it's not easy to dismiss the fact that that is a very potent allegory for uh what we consider reality and i mean we have such a limited understanding of what we're even experiencing so reality is almost arbitrary anyway <laughs> yeah no i i agree I've got a question, um, and this is strictly hypothetical. You said that dreams are like a premonition. Um, if someone was having a dream similar to yours, except the girl was running and they were wearing a ski mask, what would that mean? Hmm. Well, the ski mask, sometimes it's good to go with, you, you got to go with um, a gut, your initial gut feelings, and then it's good to go to... Um, you know, there's uh, Jung's uh, full, uh, psychology has been out for so long. You could find really concrete, like online databases that talk about archetypal psychology and stuff. So, a uh, gut feeling first would be like her wearing a ski mask seems to imply a threat there. Um, okay. And you chasing her, I don't, it's, it seems, uh, <laughs> and I, I don't mean anyone in particular. Um, I, just, I, I say that all the time, you as like a general statement. Um, yeah. I don't know if you're, <laughs> so I'm not pointing fingers or anything. Um, but, uh, you know, that speaks to me as, you know, because in my dream, um, uh, to make an, a comparison, it was me and my relationship to the anima um, being that feminine aspect of the psyche um breaking it down into like that yin and yang polar uh, dualism of um alchemy and um existence as we know it and you know so there's there's uh the the mother and the father the divine mother and father of um of uh within in 
this is a whole conversation that we could get into as well the relevance of and the tangibility of like what archetypes are and how far they might extend but they're at least representations of very important adaptation mechanisms in the mind and um chasing um <laughs> your anima with a ski mask um it definitely represents uh generally speaking some sort of um how would you put it a uh, shadow work with the anima i would say to what degree is hard to say without more info that'll work <laughs> any any anytime i i see like I know what that is. these these things on social media it's like see what your dreams mean and then it's like if you see a bear it means this if you see a cat it means this <laughs> and and i think the the best point that you just made is like you have to you have to be self-aware of how you yourself feel in these situations to determine you know, maybe what emotion these things are rooted to or what um, intention, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a twofold process. These things have a sort of outside relevance to them, more collective relevance, but they wouldn't be associated with anything to like in they, they wouldn't be in that dream if they didn't have particular personal relevance in layers of the onion, so to speak. But for anybody also that doesn't know or is uh, not so familiar with the term shadow work just being um a quick uh a term um, reflection of yourself or something basically mm -hmm. yeah it's basically an aspect of jung's work um the supposition being like this very alchemical thing that you know so there's four core aspects of the psyche from which all um archetypes stem from and those be those being um the mother the father the persona um, like or the logos as I like to call it um, um, and others as well um, other people like to call it and uh, the fourth one being the the shadow and the shadow is where um, you know you can get more nefarious things and demonology comes into play but the shadow is a natural part of the psyche and it's not inherently evil certainly and the most classical best example of uh, like a proper healthy relationship with the shadow being um Virgil, uh, Dante's guide in um, in the Divine Comedy. Uh, he's a Roman poet, uh, the spirit of the Roman or the soul of the Roman poet um, who is uh, in purgatory. So he's not divine. He's not uh, allowed in heaven, but he's not nefarious either. So um, the the shadow uh, you have to learn to integrate it. There's you know certain um, uh, important aspects of yourself hidden because the shadow is essentially all that which we do not readily access it's the kind of the threshold of um um you know because all the unconscious mind is you know it's not conscious but you might still be aware of it um but the shadow is all those unconscious mechanisms and uh things that you store almost at like akashic record type thing like the dusty side of the akashic record or something um that you have to work with and another way i like to think of it is um, you know, because there's some relevance to astrology. Uh, you could get very hokey and new agey with it, but um, there's some relevance. And um, there's that whole idea of Saturn ascending, you know, when you uh, turn uh, 27 to 29, everything that you ignored, all that shadow work that, that you uh, put off comes and smacks you and you got to deal with it. So, um, yeah. yeah that, sounds um, about right. Maybe, uh, <laughs> put it in a very simplified um pop culture <laughs> reference it's kind of like your tyler durden 
from... Absolutely. Absolutely. That is a really uh, eloquent way to put it. He really... But, you know, I wish I had that fucking body. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, classic movie for a reason. It's really great. Classic book, too. Um, And that really is... I mean, um, uh, I couldn't tell you specifically how much um, Chuck... I always forget how to pronounce his last name. um, Chuck P... um, he, uh, I couldn't tell you like how much specifically he likes Jung or anything, but there was definitely some sort of basic understanding of of uh, shadow at play there, most certainly. Um, so and uh, yeah, and so you know sometimes there, you know like I said, there's wounded aspects of yourself um, that you might need to nurture um, or um, repair, amend relationship with, and there's some static so to speak, between, or you might get into some more, like, Lovecraftian stuff, and, like, some, um, some demonology, or maybe some, like, uh, some, like, Stranger Things upside down world type stuff, metaphorically, but, um, yeah, there's, uh, the shadow being that which you just don't understand yet definitely entails a bit of danger as well, so it's, uh, it's a serious business, but, you know, it's like tools of the trade, physics of the psyche is, um, like, um, learning to build a house. It's like that Freemasonic allegory. Um, you know, part of the reason, a huge part of the reason they use the allegory of masonry being they're building the temple of their mind, body, and spirit through their own um, disciplines and physics to the psyche. You know, my mind was blown to find out that Colonel Sanders was a 33rd degree Mason. <laughs> really? No kidding. Yeah, he was. What? He was the, the highest level. He, he was uh, uh, not not literally, but figuratively a lizard person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um, uh, and there's a uh, strong evidence that he's a uh, very bad drunk and possibly very racist. <laughs> uh, neither of those would surprise me. Little odd, <laughs> odd tidbit trivia here. <laughs> that uh, lived down the road from me actually... Uh, owns and purchased a green Cadillac that Colonel Sanders owned at one point in time. No that's, kidding. Yeah. Wow. How old is it? Lizard, it no, that's funny. It was a green. It's green <laughs> Cadillac. So it's a uh, it's weird um, because um, our claim to fame around here is uh, the original KFC is like 20 minutes down the road. Yeah. Oh really? It, <laughs> yeah. It, dude, it looks like Las Vegas. They have a big arrow. You remember that episode of South Park when wow. they went to the original KFC in Corbin, Kentucky? Yeah, I haven't thought about that. Like, wow. Yeah, that's no right down the road. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it, they've got it set up to where like there's this huge flashing arrow and a giant bucket of chicken that just spins. <laughs> <laughs> and it's amazing. <laughs> uh, that sounds worth checking out once or twice. I love it. The Rick. Um, truck that was driving around the united states was parked down there one day and i was like oh shit <laughs> <laughs> so uh, a departure from the psyche i think we should get into um you said that you saw a uap or ufo mm-hmm. yeah yeah um that is something that i still i'll never fully i don't think i'll ever fully understand but it's something that um certainly just kind of sealed my fate in a positive way. I'm, uh, I'm happy to be here interested in this stuff, but it certainly, <laughs> certainly uh, was one of the big pushes, um, you know, among other things, as I've said. And um, the, 
I'll go into it briefly because there were actually a handful of times and there were t- um, more times than that even that um, I, I, I saw things that looked like UFOs, but they were further enough away. And I had honestly seen enough of them over like a three year period in Alaska where it was kind of starting to weird me out and I didn't really care to verify if the things at those points um, I was seeing were any anything in particular. That would be so, that would be a perfect place to test out that kind of technology, oh, and yeah. just, especially the more remote areas. Absolutely. Um, and I yeah, you know, ufology at large. I don't really ever hear anyone talking too much about Alaska, and I'm always, um, uh, you know, I have I'm like you UFO adjacent uh, because I've seen them, but I wouldn't consider myself a ufologist. Um, and I don't have the kind of tech that some people would uh, would want to fully go down those rabbit holes of investigation. But Alaska is definitely a place where you should go and look into some of that stuff. All the stuff I saw, um, you know, I was right outside of Anchorage in uh, Eagle River, Alaska. And um, I always saw stuff um, disappear behind the Chugach Mountain Range. So food for thought for anyone there. And um, um so there was one time, the first time, I don't even necessarily count this as an, uh, a sighting, but it's interesting because it kind of set the pace and the, the specs, so to speak, of all the other sightings I had. And, and so this first time, we were actually on mushrooms, and it was, uh, it was interesting enough. And um, um, after all that, um, I had another, I would say, uh, like four other sightings. Um, not counting those other what ifs um, where things where I was sober and with other people a lot of times. And it really uh, raises a lot of questions. One time I saw, I'll go briefly one, one time all around like two or 3 AM, like a witching hour type thing all in uh, um, fall or winter. And um, I saw something, a triangle, like lurk over my rooftop, like just above my rooftop. Um, I seen things fly faster than a shooting star in the sky and do 90 degree angle turns. Um, I seen, uh, the other most noteworthy one being I was driving home again around the same time, same general area. And we were on, it was a neighborhood, but it's one of those basically neighborhoods and roads in the middle of the woods. Um, so there's just trees on either side and, uh, and at night, and we see this bulbous, but you could see that it's triangular, but it's very bulbous and it's, um, um, almost like blimp ish. Um, and it's just above the tree line and it's blinking bright, like as bright as day, like on for like a second and then goes off for a handful of seconds, like three or four or something. And it goes back on and we just see it we you know we divert paths because we're driving on the road and you know we both saw it it was strange and so some of the biggest points being i feel like um i did see those with other people um except for a couple times and um it certainly came across as real as anything else that we would see but if it was government it still could be theoretically um but if it was, what would be the point? The only practical points I could think of would be surveillance or experimentation. And none of those seem worth hovering over residential areas in Alaska. Um, and if we were some of the ones, if we saw it, and, it, and 
and they're also always conspicuous. They're never inconspicuous. Um, so, um, damn, my microphone fell here. Sorry, guys. You might have to edit that smack out. Um, um, but uh, so they're not inconspicuous at all. And um, it would raise the question how we're not um, uh, how, how it's not creating local headlines and things like that. So I'm of the opinion that I'm an advocate for uh, for. Um, UFO investigators and researchers and experiencers, but I, I'm, I'm very skeptical of a lot of the nuts and bolts ideas that float around, uh, because I think that there is a lot more of a metaphysical angle going on here. I almost, um, granted, this is, I think, just more metaphorical. I don't think, uh, you know, be careful taking this too literally, but I think that UFOs are a lot more akin to ghosts and the paranormal than, um, things from other planets i do think that other planets are life on other planets exists but that also raises a whole slew of questions as to how much organic biological matter can sustain itself in space like that even with technology etc yeah, we, we talked to um jeremy riss who is he goes by the alien scientist on youtube um has a huge following he has like over a hundred thousand followers on youtube excellent um, I think I've heard that name before. Yeah. And he is, man, he is a trip to talk to. Like he's the most knowledgeable person on ufology that I've ever heard speak. And it, I mean, like he's just, he, he gets all these experts together and basically like a panel and they troubleshoot through the was just like, you know, why would it be in, in Anchorage? Like, why would it be around those mountains? Mm-hmm. And on some episodes, they even go through, like, Google Maps and just look for inconsistencies or, like, things that Google has uh, blurred out on purpose, stuff like that. But I'm, I'm sure he would be very interested to hear about that. Like, yeah, I should, he yeah. had uh, – get trying to get in touch with him. Cecil, didn't he reference, like, blueprints – uh, of what looked to be a triangular UFO, like from the fifties or sixties or something. Yeah, the the Hurton Hurton Brothers UFO mm. is from the forties. They 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 actually, I believe, if I'm not wrong, I'm sorry, I'm if I'm wrong, Jeremy, but um, mm. I think they worked for the Germans during the World War Two. And it and it was one of the ones that looked, and apparently, well, I've seen the pictures of it. It looked just like the one that supposedly crashed in Roswell. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not so much of an expert on this, but I've heard other people um, that are more invested in it tell me that uh, triangular UFOs seem to be uh, uh, maybe not necessarily the dominant uh, thing cited, but one of the dominant sightings lately. So. Yeah. It's interesting to watch the progress, uh, the progression of the phenomenology in in uh, UFO history, um, because uh, you know some of my favorite UFO investigators are like Jacques Fillet and John Keel, um, you know John Keel of the Mothman prophecies, etc. And uh, the the approach of existentialism, meaning that the only way we're probably going to get closer to a real understanding of these things is if that understanding incorporates um, the, the the human psyche's relationship to it. Um, I think that's a good segue. Because uh, <laughs> last week we talked with uh, 
Lauren Smith, who has been running a cryptid channel for over 10 years, um, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that you're also interested in cryptids. I'm, oh, I'm, certainly, of course. <laughs> I literally just bought a book that she told me about that I've been reading that is fucking phenomenal when it comes to cryptids. It's a cryptid... What was it? I don't know. I just looked at it just a moment ago. Yeah, I can't title but i've been reading it surprisingly <laughs> um, so american so, cryptids it's awesome it's just called american cryptids yeah in pursuit of the elusive creature um <laughs> so what what what's your cryptid of choice oh man uh, like the the one that you're most interested in hmm the law county lake one-eyed snake <laughs> that's what we call get out of here man i was at home okay um my cryptid of choice uh that's a tough one because mm, it's uh you know there's there's enough uh you're close enough to uh, theoretical Bigfoot territory in Alaska, so I guess that would be the one closest, uh, closest to me, um, and I, I have some fondness for. But I don't know because just to be perfectly honest, um, I am very much fascinated with um, just the idea of cryptids at large, and maybe you know if I had to pick, because I think this counts. I think even though there's like a human aspect to it. I think it's at least adjacent. I would have to say skinwalkers. I find skinwalkers to be very fascinating. Um, and uh, that whole, uh, like, beast of the woods, that more nefarious Bigfoot, like Wendigo and these things, um, that that uh, that that harsh spirit of the wilderness is uh, almost evil deadish, is very darkly fascinating. Um, and um, I really think that we talked about how dreams, you know, we fleshed out pretty pretty solidly uh dreams and their relationship to like opening doorways to um potentially more genuinely metaphysical things um i very much think that uh the evidence uh shows more than enough that uh the paranormal and cryptozoology and ufology um they have some sort of I'm not saying I have all the answers, and I'm sure there's more to the answer here, but I would bet a lot of money that this is a large component of it, or at least a, a crucial piece to one of the crucial pieces to understanding it. All of these things have some sort of aspect to uh, the shadow work that we're talking about. Because uh, if you look throughout history, sleep paralysis being an interesting example, you see that there's a lot of evidence and mothman prophecy that title being another example um for these things being some sort of reflection of aspects of ourself that we do not understand and that might not be where the trail of breadcrumbs ends but the data suggests uh, heavily that that is where the trail of breadcrumbs begins and so maybe that, just like an almost like an origin story yeah yeah, um, uh, creating perhaps our, you know, the physics of the psyche, our imaginal energies, so to speak, um, are creating some sort of like allegorical bottle for a genie. I've never heard that before. 
out of all out of all the shows and all the people that we've talked to about this sort of thing, I, I don't think I've ever heard that. Um, I haven't read it anywhere, but I will say that it's not like my it's my phrasing, but certainly not my sentiment wholesale because it's very reminiscent of again like Carl Jung because Carl Jung wrote a book about UFOs too, which is very interesting. Um, and um and again uh, Valet and Keel and um I think that uh, basically. What I mean, like, more directly with the relationship to the human psyche and bottled genie is, like, clearly, and uh, shadow work in there, the the key is projection process. Um, Because that's what's happening with dreams. That's what's happening with sleep paralysis. When we look at the practical, empirical data sets, if you will, that lead to metaphysics, such as dreams and sleep paralysis, etc., you see that there's great ex- – uh, that that there's really solid foundational, um, like, hard science put into it. Um, and uh, furthermore, you know, when you look at, like, uh, UFO stories and uh, uh, stories of, like, alien encounters and stuff, it's very, very interesting to note that they rarely, if ever, seem to be telling the truth. Um there's always some sort of backwards, I would dare say, dream logic to it. That's um, very symbolic. All of it, um, the symbolism and manifestation of the 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 UFO UAP seems to progress. Uh, you know, ancient aliens to seeing pirate ships in the sky to seeing flying saucers and seeing triangles, etc. Um, and uh, and the way we perceive the the ETs, it all seems to be very reminiscent of a projection process and um, um, a dream logic. But again, that's the, we just we spent plenty of time talking about the relevance of dreams. So that's not to discount these things either. I mean, so, you you make a you make a very interesting point because like to Tully's point, most of the people that we've talked about with cryptids or paranormals split them down the middle it's either cryptid biological or it's paranormal there's no connections or, or you know anything like that so that's a that's an interesting point of view that you brought up what were you going to say Cecil? um do you think that there's like a so you believe strong in like mental powers and things of that nature like you can do you think that there's a possibility that people can will creatures into existence like like there i forget the word for it like there's a buddhist word for it like tulpa or Tulpas, something yeah 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 that that goes into this a lot um i would say um certainly an aspect of it and i think um um it's also reminiscent um to because there are lighter examples this this goes for divination as well as far as i'm concerned in the better aspects of metaphysics but you know the the idea of um letting the vampire in um like creating uh an entry through your um uh imaginal complexes and things and this also gets you know because I, I i really like carl jung but if you want to understand symbolism and psychology um especially the esoteric stuff you got to look into memes a little bit as well and a lot of people sometimes forget that memes um, started out as um, uh, evolutionary psychology and they were a meme was the definition of a psychological unit that acts on the psyche the same way genes act on the body. So it has to do with expression and um, uh, transmission. And the meme is said to be like a mind virus, essentially. 
And also that could go two ways. That could be good or bad because when you look at things in actual biology and evolutionary biology, you see that there are things like retroviruses that have actually been incorporated into our biology and have actually been pro-adaptive for us. So that does I don't play, even... That, that does play a little bit into sim theory a little bit. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <clears throat> like just uh, like the manipulation of reality almost. Like if your will strong enough, just like the guy, I forget what his name is, who can uh, uh, or jump in, in like frozen lakes and stay there for four hours and not get right. hypothermia. Yeah. And they literally, that, that guy, the same guy, they put him in a hospital, injected him with the flu, and he proved that with his mental fortitude, he could fight off the flu virus, like just with his will. <laughs> wow. I, I got to check that out. That's fascinating. You can ask me straightforward. I only took about. <laughs> What's that? Totally texted and asked me if I took too much kratom. I was like, I only took forty milligrams today. <laughs> That's good you're stuff being, right there. You're right. being you're being awful quiet today. Unusually quiet. Oh, man, my body's hurting. <laughs> yeah, you got his thumbnail all jacked up. Uh, that sounds terrible. Um, um, you know. You know, it's like some of this um, manuscript that I'm working on now has a lot to do with demonology and uh, and that re- its relationship historically um, to like the shadow and psychology and things. And um, um, possession is really interesting because there's a lot of woo and nonsense associated with it. But and I also. Um, you know, I enjoy a good conspiracy theory, and there's truth to them. Uh, there are plenty of them, and I don't trust the Vatican. But uh, without uh, going uh, splitting hairs too much, um, I uh, I think that you know it's a case by case basis. Like I'm much more against organizations than I am individuals, and there are plenty of good priests out there that aren't doing terrible things to children. Um, just like there are good cops out there, etc. And things are double-edged when you get into organizations, particularly. And uh, and so I think that one of, uh, to my estimation and my research, uh, one of the most intact and probably um, like strict, you could say, in terms of um, like the gra- the the gravity and uh, you know them trying to do a good job. Um, the uh, the exorcism branch, so to speak, of the Vatican, um, or it, it just Catholicism in general, um, is uh, is still very alive and intact, and um, their their uh, methodologies have become more sophisticated, where they work with um, esteemed and established psychiatrists and things now to specifically vet out the fine line between. Uh, mental illness and these greater possibilities of possession. Possession basically just being take out the idea, the the very specific religious suppositions, and consider the idea that just mind virus mimetics potentially um, uh, the the psyche can be invaded by things that uh, we have less control over just because of. Um, a variety of circumstances and again mental illness um, because mental illness when you do look into cases of possession not always surprisingly is it prevalent but so often is it it, it is and the way you have to if you're going about trying to vet out the difference the way you go about doing that is 
figuring out, you know, because basically point being um, th- uh, that mental illness can provide can open the, that vampirical allegorical door, provide the, the bottle for the genie. And there's all sorts of psychology involved here, uh, Jungian sentiments like transference, like the idea that there is almost a sort of familial parental relationship between a therapist and a patient uh, that creates um, a process that allows for deeper therapy and understanding each other more intimately, um, just on like a mental level. Um, And uh, how that goes into um, things like shamanism and even, you know, um, exorcisms and things. There has to be some sort of transference, meaning a shared belief system, essentially, um, in order for things to manifest in certain ways. um, Because um, you can get all sorts of... uh, um, When you get into... So I think uh, that there is a reason that... um, Christians um, and especially the, like the Abrahamic religions in general are more inclined to experience uh, possession in a more boilerplate way. And so it's kind of like it's kind of like instead of you know throwing the shadow grenade of manifestation to create something externally, you're letting it cook inside of you, or like mm-hmm. blow up inside, and that's where you kind of get possession. I have, yeah, I have a question. Do you believe mm-hmm. in whiskey demon by chance like <laughs> the um, whiskey demon just <laughs> generally <laughs> speaking <laughs> there's a legit reason i asked this about five years five years ago i stopped drinking extremely heavy you know um, <laughs> before that there's like 15 years where i drank pretty heavy um and there was a point that i would reach every time that i was getting drunk to where i wouldn't remember anything after that but when I heard stories about it, they would reference me as Clyde. Hmm. So this blackout version of myself was named Clyde, and they were very erratic. Like, yeah. one time he uh, pissed on a window in an apartment <laughs> complex and took off running with his pants on his ankle and skinned his knee. And it, I woke up, and it was my knee. <laughs> yeah, one time Clyde pissed on my car. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, my dad has a good friend, uh, same, same set of circumstances and his drunken alter ego is called, uh, Donnie Mumbles. Uh, (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) um, but yeah, you know, at least archetypally, uh, certainly, I mean, there's a reason that they, uh, have always called alcohol spirits. Um, yeah, yeah, that, that definitely comes from, um, old belief systems and, um, and so that's why I think it's so important to um, understand uh, archetypes and psychology like this because sometimes things are um, represented symbolically very well. Um, like you might um, perhaps, you know, because it, it would it, it would probably be a stretch to say that you were uh, or anyone that's like you know having that blackout drunken alter ego is possessed by a devil or a demon but is there something else maybe slipping in maybe potentially and and there and it's also important to remember that even jung and other uh, esteemed psychologists psychiatrists have uh, consider um these aspects of the psyche very autonomous meaning that you know they have their own self-direction to them in a sense um 
but um, not necessarily sentient. Although, so you know, it, Cecil, if you don't let if you don't let it out every now and again, it's just gonna explode inside of you, man. Well, what yeah. Happened, what happened, kind of, to make me think that I might have been like kind of possessed? Maybe was one time he jumped off of a cliff, like wow. forty foot, um, <laughs> and apparently um, everybody thought that I died or whatever, and. They's like, oh my God, are you down there? And I just went, all good, man. That's when I came back to the picture was when I was laying at the bottom of it. Wow. And I had to pull a stick out of my back, but I didn't get hurt like hardly at all. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's and that's another interesting uh, point overall. I think is uh, uh, I by definition the unexplainable. Even this example of um of uh a Clyde here um it's there's an aspect of surrealism like there's you're never gonna really more than likely uh, there's outliers to every uh rule of thumb but you're you're likely never really gonna know what it was was it just uh like a repressed aspect of your psyche or was it that being the bottle for the genie of something again and um um it kind of uh, – I I think that's a really quintessential piece of all this unexplainable stuff. I don't think it really happens unless you're at a vantage point where you can't explain it. You see what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think that's part of the whole manifestation process. I love how we're analyzing your blackouts, Cecil. <laughs> oh, that's, that's I got great. Stuff I never did. <laughs> and when I jumped off the cliff, apparently I just looked back and said, Watch this. <laughs> just jumped wow. off. <laughs> um, it it may have been me, you know, at one point in time that uh, was possessed or something because I went to a music uh, show with Cecil and left with Clyde one time. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's certainly interesting food for thought, and uh, probably better off that you don't uh, bring Clyde out whenever possible. Um, but but again, um, you know, uh, the shadow is not inherently evil, and if anything, uh, a lot of times you just need to uh, develop a healthier relationship with it. It can be very Virgilian, like I said. So, um, but. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, all. flight might not be too bad. You might I, I just It's not in my so repertoire anymore. What about um, just to, to touch on this for a minute? Like folks like um, Alistair Crowley, oh, yeah. like pe- people who you know, really just trying to break the system, right? Like he was trying everything in the world to just manifest. And like that stuff to me is interesting. Um, Cause there's, there's also a guy now, um, I think his name's like Garabovi. Um, or maybe it's Gra- Grabovi. Um, but he, <laughs> <laughs> hang on, hang on. I can tell you. I think his name's like a uh, grab a booby. <laughs> yeah. His name is Grabovoy. Grabovoy. And it, he they've they've already put him in prison in Russia um as being basically today's Aleister Crowley, except he's doing it through 
um, rather than all the crazy stuff Alistair was doing, he's doing it through number sequences. And what got him landed in prison is he allegedly, there's no proof of this on video or anything, but he allegedly went to this village where some a number of people had been massacred and allegedly raised two children from the dead using this uh this code that he's written and the kids it was like a pet cemetery situation and and it landed him in prison which is very real Uh, like that legitimately happened he's out now but he it's all about um connecting to the server and then once you've connected to the server in these meditations, there are numerical mantras that do very specific things. Like people, you know, it's all like, n- none of it's on film, but it's it's all like uh, conjuring and l- like defined physics, levitation, you name it. But just I'm wanted like- to get, get your thoughts on on some of that. I'm looking at some of the codes right now, and you can get unexpected money, self-healing of the body, for love, for peace, for self-esteem, for entrepreneurship, understanding, beauty, weight loss, fame, romantic love, and steady and genuine income. I think that there is uh, – that there. I'm very interested in mysticism and uh, you know what you could call the occult and things, um, and I think um, – it's good that I did some legwork talking about chaos theory a little bit because that's so um, indicative of how we develop as people to chaos theory. Um, it's funny that you mentioned that because, and I don't know if, uh, well, so when I was younger, I read, uh, I used to read a lot of for dummies books because they were very um, like uh they're informative. Non-opinionated. Like, that too. Um, like the Buddhism for dummies or meditation for dummies wasn't religious, uh, religiously. Like there wasn't one narrow perspective from like a Buddhist perspective. And I was reading witchcraft for dummies when I was young. And it was the same way. But there's a whole chapter in that for dummies book that talked about the relation to chaos theory. Hmm. Which uh, it is the only reason I'm bringing that up. It, it's interesting that you're tying it back to that. Yeah, that's uh, uh that's I I haven't read that uh, myself, but that sounds like a like a gold star for uh for dummies books. That's a that's a pretty cool <laughs> little link there. Um, because yeah, I mean, very relevant. Um, and um, chaos theory really became incorporated into metaphysical ideas you know with quote-unquote chaos magic um kind of uh like inserting itself into more of the mainstream um in the 90s and you still find its influence to this day uh chaos magic basically being uh you know for anyone who doesn't know the uh a form of what you could call results-based magic another way of putting it being uh do what works for you um Meaning that uh, – and results-based being that um, there are – well, it's like the um, 
uh, the old adage of chaos theory with the butterfly effect. You know, uh, the flap of a butterfly wing can potentially theoretically create a typhoon halfway around the world, regardless of how unlikely that might be. It's certainly possible um, if the preconditions are right. And so the the like supposition of the chaos magician is that um, it's not. You know, because the definition of magical thinking is like two things that are entirely unrelated and somehow you can, whether it's placebo or hypnosis, etc., um, uh, you you gain some sort of result out of that. Um, but they're they're not related. But well, okay, chaos magic uh, takes it a step further and says they are related. They're only they're just unrelated um, insofar as our vantage point, you know, um, and. Um, chaos magic talks about, um, you know, because even Solomon, King Solomon, um, not that he really wrote the text himself likely, but, uh, he refers to, um, his mystical and, uh, esoteric works as experiments and, um, this trial and error process of the same way that you have to understand your gut feeling when analyzing dreams. You have to understand your own gut feeling and your own psyche when you want to understand how to, uh develop like protocols control methods uh etc for maybe investigating this stuff more um because there are we talk about inertia and physics of the psyche there are um aspects of the psyche that are collective because we're all humans and we all experience the same general uh, adaptational pressures but yeah, things become um, uh, more more specific, and I had it put to me once um, to cherry on top of like uh, magical like philosophical theory here. Um, I had it put to me once that uh, to explain chaos magic, if you um, had the right preconditions and you knew you you put the right time and attention and development into a system, and you knew what you were operating with within your psyche. And you used a magic eight ball, and you did all that all that correctly, all the prep work. Then you could certainly have some sort of magical results-based system, um, that flap of the butterfly wing with an actual magic eight ball. It really doesn't matter. You could you grab a stick and call it a magic wand if you are able to, if you are familiar enough with your psyche. Um, then there are certain things that you can maybe not maybe you're not even able to like have powers per se maybe it's just so much um maybe it's just as simple enough as stumbling onto something like you know? uh like the tune and fork with water or whatever mm. like how people find right. water. cymatics and things yeah. and yeah absolutely do you think the possibility that people actually did harness powers though like Rasputin, for instance like i don't entirely discount it um i am a, little, a bit familiar um, I wouldn't write a book about it, but I looked into Rasputin, and um, it's so fascinating, very fascinating, um, because you can say it's kind of like all this stuff. It's that grand what if. That's the that's like the beauty and complexity of it is we'll, we'll probably never really know. But one way or the other, Rasputin was a um, he was really good at what he did whether it was uh whether it was just like <laughs> getting away with things and faking things or or may or like real stuff or maybe a little bit of both maybe it was a little bit of both um i think maybe if you believe hard enough in your own uh bs then 
um, you might be able to actually manifest some things by accident here and there. Who knows? That would be cool. Respute, <laughs> I only think that, the only thing that weighs credence to Rasputin for me is how hard he was to kill. Right. Yeah. There's <laughs> it was really hard. Yeah. And there's some stuff with the uh, um, anemia um, where um, I can't remember all the details, but he did. Um, there was there is some evidence to suggest that he just knew of um, um, a good enough remedy that was like the equivalent of maybe aspirin or something. And uh, and that was just kind of incorporated into like his mysticism. But but again, with the anemia with the prince, uh, there were other times where, like, um, I think he was, um, he was like away. He was he was off somewhere far else, and he uh, th- th- there wasn't any chance for medication to be involved. And he simply said through uh, letter correspondence, like, "Don't worry, your son will be fine by this day." And he was. And it's something uh, I might have a couple of those details wrong, but he nailed it in a way where historians are completely at a loss as to how that happened. Like he would basically just have to be like crossing his fingers and be like, I hope so. We, uh, the last episode we released was about time travel. Maybe he time traveled and got aspirin busted it up and was like, here, <laughs> drink this with water. Take this, <laughs> take this magic powder. <laughs> Blows you it. never know. You Man, never know. I've been sitting here like there's, there's so much more. Like we're gonna we're gonna have to we're gonna have to have you back on sometime. Like sure thing. We have we could just split it right now and do two. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I'll probably run out of steam eventually. Uh, I want to give you my freshest, but I I still got plenty of time for now. Uh, we we could keep rolling, no doubt. But um, I'd be happy to come back on uh in the future for sure. Um. Like I said, there's um, you know, I've also I've also got interest. Um, I I like where we're going now. We've kept it on subject pretty well, but um, you know, I I definitely have interest in things like um, serial killers and cult leaders and 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 whatnot, abnormal psychology and how that yeah, plays. Yeah, those are those are gonna have to be whole whole segments, Cecil. Like <laughs> for sure. <laughs> <Ow>. <laughs> no, absolutely. But, um. But, you know, I'll tell you guys this for fun because this rolls into it all um, in a practical way. Um, there is a really great book that um, inspired me along the way, and it's definitely source material that I reference a little bit in my book Dive Manual. Um, there's a, excuse me, there's a, a neuroscientist, um, uh, V.S. Ramachandran, who, with someone else, uh, wrote the book Phantoms. Excuse me. Uh, wrote the book Phantoms in the Brain in like 1999, and it's this book about abnormal psychology and neurological disorders, whether it be uh, brain injuries or just born with uh, genetic or or otherwise. And um, um, it goes into a lot of different ones, really like simulation kind of food for thought, and he keeps it very grounded, very grounded. Uh, but Ramachandran's an interesting guy because he's not ready to dismiss some of the more philosophical stuff. So he just kind of leaves it open-ended in many ways. And um, um, he also has done some research into sleep paralysis. Um, uh, and particularly, uh, the uh, one of the stories I like the most um, and really blew my mind when I first read it is, so he's dealing with phantom limb syndrome. 
um, in Phantoms in the Brain. And um, Phantom Limb, it will happen um, if you've had limbs amputated, but a lot of people don't know that it, there's plenty of cases of Phantom Limb Syndrome where uh, you can be born without limbs and experience it. So it's almost like the archetype of your limb um, in a weird way. I've never um, heard that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, and it, it's just like this primal neurological hardwiring. And um, um, this also rolls right into this whole genie in a bottle type thing um, because uh, it seems to be an alarm system um, of, um, of nervous tension uh, an accumulation of, in this case, more so physical, but there is that interrelationship, but the, the psychosomatic. Um, so, um, uh, what uh, V.S. Ramachandran found um, through lots of different uh, experimentations and also practical things, um, and he ended up doing this with control methods and found that it was a useful neurological trick of the brain. And it worked most of the time, but not every time. He created a mirror box, something like a reflective shoe box on the inside, where he had a person place. I think you could really only do this with uh, arms, um, maybe legs, but there's a certain angle work that you have to be able to use here. Um, and so you place this mirror box um, to reflect the limb that's actually there. Uh, you put that reflection you know, on the limb that's no longer there. And... Um, you really, on a visual level, start tricking your brain, and these people can begin to feel, as they move the reflection of their limb, they feel the sensation of the actual movement of their phantom limb. And suddenly, all of that uh, cold, tense, like gritty tension melts away. And, um, and people were actually, not only did that occur, but most people were actually able to uh, diminish the uncomfortable the uncomfortable nature of the phantom limb with repeated like going to a gym consistently working with this mirror box and one person uh, an anecdote in the book actually managed to work their full phantom limb all the way down to he said fing phantom fingers coming out of his shoulder and he said i couldn't get the fingers to go away doc because uh the angles don't line up anymore but phantom fingers are way better than a whole arm, so thank you. <laughs> yeah, that phantom limb stuff, man. I used to play in a band with uh, these brothers, and their dad had lost his arm in a motorcycle wreck. Mm-hmm. And he would sit there and do this. And I was like, what are you doing? Wow. And he'd be like, my arm's killing me. I was like, wow. dude, you don't have an arm. <laughs> like, <laughs> it really is fascinating. Absolutely. That's, that's wild. I, I've actually never heard that, like that folks who are born without limbs can can still feel that yeah that's crazy it's strange uh, yeah i thought it was like something like muscle memory but that's i guess that's just an imprint like an imprint that you're supposed to have it and it's just not there exactly yeah and uh, and so it makes you wonder what kind of phantom limbs quote unquote we have within our psyche things that are that sort of inanimate existential tension that uh, our environment becomes that sort of mirror box through certain chaos theory preconditions that allows us to reflect that phantom limb, whether it be a UFO <laughs> or a cryptid yeah. or a dream. Man, That's crazy, man. You, you're going deep. Yeah, brother. Yeah. <laughs> like, like whoever's listening to this just fell backwards in their chair at that last <laughs> comment. I hope, like, man. That... That's, that's what I love. I, um, I really, 
you know, some people are looking for likes and um, uh, viral TikToks. I just like genuinely blowing people's minds if I can. So I, I so not in a pretentious way either. I just I like it when my mind is blown too. So I like to return the favor. <laughs> Somebody's gonna watch this episode and go. I need Whoa. a beer right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I don't smoke pot anymore. <laughs> oh, I, I do all the time. I, yeah. <laughs> well, it's illegal in Kentucky still. All right. Well, uh, thank you so much for coming on. We do appreciate the fuck out of it. It was very. This was a packed full of stuff I've never heard of and a lot of knowledge. I appreciate it. Super episode. Yeah. So, Thank you very much for having me on. You guys uh, seem to definitely be cut from the same cloth, and um, this was a, I had a lot of fun. So I'm looking forward to the next time. Absolutely. And for any um, listeners, you know, uh, DiveMind.net, um, Dive Manual, Empirical Investigations and Mysticism. You can go and check out other interviews I did. If you want to start any dialogue, I'm on uh, Twitter, um, DiveMind667, because I'm just a little bit better than a devil. Um, <laughs> joke. um but uh you can find me on facebook if you want uh anthony tyler you know uh, i got dive manual listed in my info so it's easy enough to find um and uh yeah um i got another manuscript coming out uh sooner rather than later no date yet i'm still uh wrapping it up here but uh so uh keep your eyes peeled awesome. um, and thanks again guys thank you so much and you can find us on uh twitter at wearing the folk you can find us on YouTube, probably watching on YouTube at youtube.com slash the folk. Or go to our audio only where I prefer for you to go. Uh, you can listen to us on Spotify or find other listening platforms at anchor.fm slash the folk. And if you want to be a guest, reach out to us through Twitter or email us at bipolar underscore teddy bear at outlook.com. <laughs> and thank you for watching us because we're watching you. <laughs>